Hello and welcome to Waypoint 101, where Waypoint and friends chat in detail about classic games or just games that we really like and really want to talk about. For today, I'm your host, Rob Zachney, and I am joined by my companion uh, at the Spencer Mansion, Patrick Klepek. Deeply upset that my night vision webcam will be showing up right after we finish recording all this, but <laughs> as I told Kato, I should have done it earlier, and as yeah. I'm talking about it, I'm going to hit purchase. We're going to see what $8.99 can buy you on uh, Amazon for... Oh yeah, Kato, we bought the one that, is, <laughs> that advertises itself for MSN, uh, ICQ. Messenger, ICQ, <laughs> and Skype, which when that description Woo. was written, meant Skype was new. <laughs> Perfect. Love it. Uh, we also have uh, our producer, Kato, right there. Oh. Uh, you, you heard him? Yeah. I'm uh, here. <laughs> Kato, I might need you to feed us some questions as if, if some come in to the email during the show. Uh, I, I have a list. I have a bunch in front of me. Don't have access to that email. <laughs> okay. Well, Kato, uh, then uh, just, just keep would, an eye on our audio. Yeah, I would love to help out. <laughs> Someone that seems like that seems that like email. a that seems like a thing we should give to the producer. Uh, Kato, yeah. can you make a note to give you access? Yeah, producer, can you make a note to get access? That also, also, Kato, I, uh, you know, the, the the person who listens to this podcast will already have enjoyed it, but I'm gonna make a note here that I'm gonna require that you uh, that you open or close this podcast with some of your own original. Oh my tunes. synth music. Yeah, that's gonna have to. It's gonna have to happen. So I'll I just want to in somewhere. Yeah, th- yeah, or during the pod. I don't. You know, we can't. We can't control what happens. Just in the same way that the stream does its own thing. You know, what happens to the pod? I just. I do my part. I. I babble, and then uh, it go. It goes into your hands. I'm just yeah. putting that out there into the world that it, that it should occur. It's a lot of trust you're giving me. I like it. Thank you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so. Today, we are going to be discussing Capcom's Resident Evil, designed by Shinji Mikami, and first released in 1996 for PlayStation. Patrick and I played through it on stream over the last month, which you can check out on Twitch or YouTube. But importantly, we played through the 2015 HD remaster of the 2002 GameCube remake, which is available across modern consoles and is probably the most straightforward way to play Resident and, Evil 1 these days. And PC, right? That's the that's what you look on Steam if you see Resident Evil. That's it's, the on same every, one. it's on every it's on it's on everything yeah. at this point. I think that it is it is the most accessible. I think there are ways to play the original Resident Evil, but this is like I don't know that I'd, I I think I, you would want to play the original 1996 Resident Evil after playing the 2015 version of the 2002 well, version. Of <laughs> this was kind of my question, Patrick. Is this is this close enough? Like, does it does it pass muster? As, oh yeah. I know. Yeah, because I know that you look up, uh, you know, what Mikami sort of said around the 2002 version, and there's a lot of. But they will always say, "Well, of course I intended. This is not a cash grab. Of course I always intended the game to be more like this." But do you think this like this this passes as like Resident Evil One? Do you think we we got the experience, or do you think we do we got a completely different experience just by virtue of uh, playing this remaster of a different version? No, I, I think there's a reason that this remake has been so celebrated and that um, to a large degree, Capcom, you know, when they chose to go down the path of updating their care catalog and revisiting Resident Evil, they didn't feel it was necessary to touch Resident Evil 1 immediately because this 2002 update um, stands the test of time. The fact that it's only six years later is a something that I didn't realize 
was so remarkable until now. But for a remake to come that quickly, you know, we live in an era in which a game can take six years to be made. Um, or it, when uh, and Resident Evil comes from an era in which the six years in between would be a period in which you would expect six sequels to be made because games could be made in a, in a 12 to 18 month period. In fact, I think Resident Evil 1, Resident Evil, Resident Evil 2 was considered a failure uh, and a production failure by Capcom because it took two years to make because they made huh. three-fourths three fourths of Resident Evil 2, famously called Resident Evil 1.5, uh, s- scrapped it, started over, and rebuilt what was Resident, became Resident Evil 2, um, all done in the span of, of two years. And uh, which is all just to say, I, I think Resident Evil, the, the 2002 update, really captures the brilliance of of that original game. I think it updates it in smart ways. I mentioned this on the stream, but I think part of what is so remarkable about the dance that the 2002 update does is it it has all sorts of delightful surprises for folks who have played the original game in which it subverts your expectations it you you you're there for in some ways for nostalgia your nostalgia guides you to do the things that you did the first time and then the game does something different and whether that is uh you know Cerberus you know one of the when the dogs coming in through the the main mansion hallway, whether it's the dogs not uh, breaching the windows the first time you go down the the, the famous uh, you know L shaped hallway, whether it's the crimson zombies, um, uh, like those are all mechanics that I, I think worked really really well for a first playthrough, a first experience that that someone like Rob had, um, but also operate on such an uh, such a different level for folks who are coming to it with institutional knowledge of how the game works. And so I thought it was brilliant when it came out. I I think it's even I'm even more impressed by it now given that it came into a world in which remakes, remasters, updates like that, that stuff didn't really exist back then. It was part of what made uh, you know a release like Super Mario All-Stars where Nintendo went back and redid some of the art um for for their older uh, uh, Mario games, like that just wasn't a thing game companies did a whole lot of, and and I think remake really was foundational um, in sort of like laying some some groundwork for what what are smart ways, interesting ways to update a game for newer audiences um, while keeping what is special about that original game, and I think it walks that really fine line really well. I'm glad to hear that because like. See, my experience of the original game that came out in 1996, and I think we talked a bit about, a bit about this on stream, was there, there are kind of two components of it. Uh, one is that, at least in my experience of it, it was immediately uh, swept up in the console wars of that of that era. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was immediately kind of a system seller, or really in the way kids would argue about this, it was a system justifier uh, when, it, when it came out. And so... I remember it being really divisive just because it was often being oversold to me. Uh, and then it was often being poo pooed by other people who didn't like this game that PlayStation had. And uh, like Nintendo didn't, that was, that was really kind of the dynamic of the moment. But I also remember even at the time, like when I, when I tried to approach the game uh, w- with an open mind, I did find certain like, the voice acting in that original PlayStation version was so at, uh, I could not even see the horror really in the game because at every turn it was taking a wrong turn straight into camp territory. Mm-hmm. 
And I couldn't quite get to that place that I think a lot of people who love that original uh, 1996 version did, where despite that, it becomes really creepy. It's a game of like mounting dread and discomfort. For me, I, I think it was it was very hard to appreciate that in the in the context of the really hokey voice acting uh, and and really the, the the tone that's set right at the start of the opening cinematic. Chris Redfield. Jill Valentine. Uh, with, you know, that original really, really blurry V8, like, found, like almost found footage or, or shaky cam VHS yeah. uh, version version of the intro, uh, leading to the opening minutes of the uh, of, of Spencer Mansion. Actual where FMV, just, to be clear, too. Not just shot like a steady cam, like real yeah. actors, <laughs> real. Because, like, that's Act- also. Actors thing, who did right? not voice the characters in, in the game. It's not like there was a connection uh, bet- between those. Yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting because I, I think uh, all of that was essentially laying the groundwork for a series that would have such different stretches in tone over its history, but it was doing that by accident at the time. It was not. It is not the case when you read about how they developed the original Resident Evil and how they localized that game. Um, like the voice acting being bad was not that. That was not. Uh, like Capcom USA being like, okay, we understand the campy mood that this game is going for. Uh, we're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna play into that with the voice acting. You know, you read the like the letters in uh, like all the lore and world building that occurs. Resident Evil is taking itself extremely seriously. Like it, it is, it is, it is trying to be uh, a very scary, um, unnerving a place, and that horrible things have happened to both good and bad people. Um, as a result of the experiments of the Umbrella Corporation and the FMV and the voice acting work to undercut that. But I think for a lot of people, including myself, it didn't undercut it as much as creates such a unique mishmash of just a, a, a such a unique voice that immediately appealed to a certain amount of people and then then accidentally came to define certain parts of what the kind of like the play space, the aesthetic play space that Resident Evil could explore going forward, even as like a game like Resident Evil 2 mostly just doubled down on like being scarier, being bigger, um, and really kind of ironing out like the the hokier elements of of Resident Evil and, and really like honing down like RE2, like from a localization standpoint, like, you know, better harnesses what they were they probably wanted to do with the original game, but didn't quite, you know, stick the landing for a variety of factors. Was that FMV in the original Japanese version as well, or is that totally a localization decision? No, I think I think yeah, I think it was in the original version okay. as well. And then the controversy came over it being censored. Um Oh. I forget exactly how that all played out. But basically, like uh one of the there's like some smoking that was removed from the FMV when it was localized uh. for the US. <laughs> um there I think is some vi- like some blood. Um I can't remember. I'm, I'm forgetting some of the finer It's a really details. I mean it's hard to remember because that opening FMV is so grainy. Yeah. It is so like it is so compressed but also they're covering the complete lack of budget and like pre- like shooting time. That's what the shaky cam is for is just right. because yeah. if, if you if it was the camera was to linger for any moment in time You'd realize they like, did this for twenty dollars, but they, the, uh, it was all just to say uh, 
one of the the re-releases they did not long after Resident Evil originally came out was uh the director's cut um that I forget that added some game modes and some other things. Um they didn't add things like the Lisa bits until the the remaster. That was a more substantive re-examination of 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 Resident Evil, but um one of the marketing materials was like, "Hey, we've brought in the uncensored version of the intro except when they printed the discs, they didn't put it on it." <laughs> <laughs> So they were advertising, like, look, Resident Evil fans, you wanted, do you want the uncut Resident Evil experience? It's here, including that intro. Also, someone dragged the wrong file into the folder when we burned the CDR <laughs> and then sent it to mass production. Um, uh, yeah, so I think all these things are sort of keeping me away from the the, the game back in, back in 1996. Um, and also, I think the it's interesting now coming to these things uh, with the vantage of hindsight and just being a different place. I think the other thing that I would have brought to the table in 1996 was um, I probably did buy into this notion of there being the sense of like, oh, like there is progress, like te- like there are technological advancements in games and there's progress um and they make better games now because they have better like technology and 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 better uh resources there's things you can do and coming from the pc place um resident evil in some ways felt like a throwback to a horror franchise that had been on pc for some years um alone in the dark right uh which had sort of a similar it was more uh like cosmic horror lovecraft inspired uh as opposed to resident evil being uh quoting romero uh more directly but it it had a similar look a similar uh like pace and uh mechanics and in the mid 90s i think a lot of you know as as someone coming from pc gaming i was much more into shooters and for me like what's a scary shooter well doom right and in retrospect now you realize well doom's an arcade shooter man like that's run and gun like uh strafe around and like mow dudes down uh but in that in that context i i remember i chafed against the limitations resident evil put on you at every turn it like i did not I did not see why it was good that the characters were so awkward to control. I didn't see why it was so good that you couldn't see what you were doing. Uh, this stuff drove me absolutely up the wall back then because it was like, no, like I, like I, I can't shoot these guys because I can't see where they're coming from. I can't see <laughs> like these characters control poorly. I, and there's, I don't a, there's know no what- auto aim in the original 1996 version, right? Like that's I. I believe that's the case. I, be- I believe that was added to to the remake. I'll, I'll double check that, but that that might have contributed to your, um, like the difficulty in in playing. Yeah, but but I think the the funny thing now is is when I when I started playing this uh, th- this most recent playthrough, and we were getting into it, all of that stuff had flipped to be so different and so out of step with most of the games I play now that it started to feel really cool and different and vulnerable in a way that a lot of uh, shooters can't quite manage. I think, you know, for me, a touchstone I come back to a lot is um, I loved the first fear uh, game. First person shooter. It's a, uh, it's a, it's a fast paced tactical shooter, but it has like a horror wrapper on it. Great shooter. Um, The justification for 
why the game is the way it is is because the evil dude at the start is like psychically mind controlling elite commandos and so that's why the there's a monster behind the legions of like commandos you're fighting in traditional (laughs) shooter action and then occasionally you're interrupted by sequences where alma uh basically the girl from ring uh shows up and and fucks with you the thing is that game could be really scary but in the end the thing would run into is you're in a first person shooter. You can just like spin around, put that cursor on target, wait for the uh, little bit of aim wobble to like zero in as you studied your aim and just like shoot that ghost in the face. Like eventually that's <laughs> what you're doing. The end of the game is like, Oh, the, the specters are attacking you. And it's like, great. I'll switch to SMG and, and, and give it to him that way. Um, and I think resident evil has a solution to, the way that good action gaming can completely like drain fear and horror out of an experience, which is that your character is kind of clunky and you are, you are being constantly disadvantaged by these really dramatic cinematic camera angles uh, where your character should be able to see something you can't because you aren't really your character. You're kind of controlling your character through the lens that a horror movie would turn on them. And now playing, playing it today, I absolutely love this stuff. I, I love the fact that like in the middle of a chase, the camera angle might switch and the entire relative placement of where the zombies are to me or where the, where the dogs are will completely flip and I'll have to reorient again. And it creates the sense of disorientation and panic uh, that I think a lot of a lot of action games when the, when they try to play play around with, the, with horror really struggle to sustain, and I think Resident Evil broadly succeeds at even though you 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 get pretty heavily armed, um, you still feel in a lot of places like you're extremely vulnerable and and up against it, and like any encounter. Well, I think I think there, there's two things. One is uh, which you touched on is that I think those camera angles the limitations that the design intentionally puts in you like the, the, the you know Mikami and others have mentioned that they they experimented with having non-tank controls and you know um and they they said it made the game too easy um you know this that was a deliberate it is not as if the, the creators didn't sit around and think boy you know it would be easier if if you know it was just like <laughs> easier to get around this maze. It's like, oh no, we want to create, use the controls as a way to, to manifest tension, which in some ways is, you know, I think, I know people like to make fun of like, oh, I hate when I watch a horror movie. Why is this, why is this person making this clearly stupid decision? Um, and, and movies can go too far with that in which it, 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 it's, uh, suspends disbelief to a point that it takes you out of the experience, but also characters act that way because it's fun, because it generates tension. And, in many ways, I think a lot of the decisions of Resident Evil, including like the camera angles, are a way of softening like a badass action character, thus having to look a little goofy, to act as like they're a little fumbly in an experience in which like they, they could otherwise be portrayed as being the consummate professional that is of course ready to fight zombies, even if that's what they didn't didn't train for. And like it, it forces you to kind of fumble around in the way an amateur person might, uh, you know being put into that situation. And then I think the other thing that's interesting about Resident Evil's cultural impact relative to what it came out is like you talk about coming from, you know, history with PC in which horror as a genre existed. 
um, didn't really exist if you only played on consoles. Uh, consoles didn't really... Until Resident Evil, I, I'm not going to say there weren't horror games, right? Like even Resident Evil is a a spiritual successor to a game called Sweet Home, which is a J- Japanese-only Capcom horror game based on a movie. Um, and you have the you know, adaptations of Nightmare on Elm Street, Friday the 13th. But those are like cash grabs to make action games out of horror icons. Like to that, you know, around the, the PlayStation is really where the PlayStation era, the 30, 32-bit era, like the Saturn, the PlayStation, and 64 is where you start seeing games like playing in different tones and emotional settings in their storytelling. And I think part of what made Resident Evil land so hard was that true, like a game that really actually wanted to scare you um, in the way, like the movies that you try to sneak in with your friends. Um, Resident Evil did that for you. That didn't really exist for a lot of like, like impressionable youngsters like myself. 96 (laughs) puts me at, you know, 11 years old, you know, just old enough to kind of be watching movies that, Maybe I shouldn't, um, but video games, well, you can play whatever video game you want. They're video games, you know, like this is before an era of like all of that sort of come. So in, Resident Evil felt like kind of dangerous to be playing, like from an 11 year old's perspective. Um, and the fact that it was interested in scaring me, unsettling me um, and making me just feel differently than most games do, I think greatly contributed to to the appeal of, of it, especially if you came from largely a, a console background. I did have a PC in the house. I played Doom, played TIE Fighter. Like, you know, I, I played some PC games, but for most of my life, I have been predominantly someone who plays games on, on on console, especially back when that divide between the types of games that appeared on those platforms was, was so remarkably different. Yeah, I would also say that maybe, because I remember the way the, the way the Alone in the Dark franchise seemed to be going around that time was, um, People were starting to like its controls didn't like it was meant to it was I think it was sort of designed from the ground up to be played by like keyboard. Um and that started to chafe on people as as people were looking for like more like mouse uh mouse and keyboard shooters. Um I, I think the I I think the uh you know the gamepad ends up making that kind of horror game work better uh, than it was necessarily working on PC uh, at, at, at the time. Uh, but yeah, I want to, I want to talk about sort of the, this is a very weird game. Like even with the campy voice acting taken out of the equation, it, I think the, the other thing you kind of got to get over with resident evil. I expected this to make sense by at some point by the end that like <laughs> there would be an explanation for this. Cause like yeah. at the start, it's weird because one, okay. Your team of, 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 of special forces cops. Uh, what's the coolest thing that you could be in a video game? A cop who's also a super soldier. All right. Check. <laughs> what are they doing? Uh, well, they are investigating uh, one of their special forces teams disappeared, investigating all these these random attacks. They're clearly zombies, but somehow nobody in Raccoon City uh, has put together that they're zombie attacks. OK, whatever. The mission goes bad. Oh, no, we need to run for safety in this nearby mansion uh, that we didn't even know was nearby. We're just like we're, we're we now we are fleeing for safety. We stumble into this mansion. It is this old uh, like gothic mansion uh, and 
at first it's just the place you're taking shelter, but then it turns out this is the locus of this entire zombie infestation. And yeah, there's zombies. You're going to meet them very quickly in this. But also there's like Hound of the Baskervilles uh, <laughs> type creatures. If, if the hound were real, they'd be, it'd be like this. Uh, evil hounds patrolling the grounds. There's eventually giant lizard things that are that are hunting you um there's land sharks uh well they're not really land sharks but you do drain the water <laughs> and they're still very sharks. shark-like they're pissed yeah, yeah. <laughs> um and then like this entire thing is oh there's been a traitor within your special forces stars squad and uh this actually is all down to this uh corporation the umbrella corporation has been Doing, like, you get your classic journal entries from, like, 30 years before the game begins. The people who originally, like, ran the mansion mm-hmm. are, like, being uh, basically imprisoned, tortured, uh, and killed uh, in the early days of these experiments. And then flash forward to the mid-90s, the Umbrella Corporation is doing bioengineering on something called the the T-Virus and a bunch of other wacky shit where it's like, are they creating a bioweapon? I don't know. They're also creating super sharks. They're just fucking around. And I kept <laughs> waiting for like, yeah, at some point, well, first I'm like, at some point they're going to square the circles. Like, this is going to start to make sense. But as they layer in each of these new elements, it's like, uh, yeah, we got a giant uh, little shop of horrors plant. Uh, that just like you gotta kill it with a special gas mixture. Uh, good luck. And it's like, why are you doing this? Why? Wh- and that goes all the way to the end. Why is any of this happening? And Patrick, literally, I was sitting there. I'm like, we're gonna we're gonna meet the man behind the curtain. We're gonna understand what's going on here. And you kind of do. It turns out to be infamous series uh, archvillain Albert Wesker. Uh, who is uh, sort of been sort of behind this all along, but literally just as he's about to be like, you want to know what's really going on? He gets interrupted and then flees the scene. And interrupted so, is very funny for what happens too. He gets smacked across the room by by the fucking giant zombie thing. That's true. Um, he, he disappears off screen and then you never see him again. Yeah, and and with him goes any chance of yeah. understanding, like, what, why is this? Like, ultimately, the game's like that. Umbrella Corporation, they were up to no good. They're real pieces of shit. But if you're like, well, why are they doing this? The, ga- the game isn't going to answer that. Um, but I think more to the point is those early hours, at first, you're like, you're just a cop in a haunted house. And it's very much a haunted house vibe. And then it's like, oh, there's a whole mystery to this that you're going to unravel. And then as the game goes on, it's like, okay, look, here's the new scenario. Here's a new monster type. How do we justify that? Um, And so it's like, eventually I just kind of had to, I guess in retrospect, I had to accept this was never going to make any more sense uh, (laughs) than it did. But I think it contributes to this game's uh, really, not just its oddness, but its sense that anything can happen. Uh, because there's not really a lot of internal consistency to this, uh, to this game as I'm playing it. There's a lot of like creepy stuff that happens. Mm. Um, but it Why never. Why is there a big snake? Meh. 
I mean, right. right yeah. there, there's a uh, once you like bring the, science into it, you can make anything. You that's know, true. <laughs> you just uh, wave wave the science wand over it. It exists. <laughs> I mean, there 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 are uh, spoilers for the uh, most recent Resident Evil game, Resident Evil Village. Skip ahead, you know, a minute or two. But uh, like the reason any of this stuff even started in the Spencer Mansion is a question that is only answered in a Resident Evil Eight village in 2021 yes like there's an element at the end so of wait the, the whole like trevor and uh that whole like the spencer family that's finally explained in village yeah like what wh- where did the wh- how did they discover like an element of the earth that they could manipulate that leads to all this that is a question that is only answered but you know in resident evil uh, village i mean I, you know it, it's sort of irrelevant it doesn't matter but at some point the series does get around to giving kind of an origin story for the the spencer family and there's other bits of huh. that in, in in the different games but um i think it, it, it resident evil is whatever it wants to be whatever it would like to be and i i think you see you see a lot of that in that first in that first game and that only continues forward like resident evil it wants mutant sharks. Fine. It's got mutant sharks. Uh, it's, you know, got a big hulking Mr. X, uh, that walks around in a, in a trench coat. It's, you know, it's got Mr. X. Like it, it's a very fungible, uh, premise that is not, it, it does not, it both cares deeply about, and maybe this is not something that's true. The first game, because it was just the first game and it was, they didn't realize they were going to be making, you know, these games for 20 plus years. But as the series goes on, it is one that is both um, unconcerned and deeply concerned with its mythology and its characters. I mean, the series always just goes forward. It's never been rebooted, re- like re- restarted. Like the timeline established here is still going <laughs> in Resident Evil Village, which is just not usually how these stories go. And... But Resident Evil has has managed to, or maybe not managed, has just made the choice to keep going. And it just sort of, it just waves the science, like Kato said, the science wand. It's just like whatever it wants to do next, uh, as serious or not serious, it just waves yeah. the science wand. And it's then an it- experiment. They're experimenting. You got to know how this thing is going to work when you put it on a plant. Got to know that for whatever practical, who knows what practical applications there could be. It's, it's, it seems like they didn't know. They were like, yeah. well, <laughs> it appears to be eating things belo- a couple for, I mean, that, that, that was some of my favorite bits is where you simultaneously have like the Trevor diaries, you know, you have this family man, uh, you know, desperate to get, uh, who, who I guess was also contracted to design this mansion. That's not really explained why he did it, uh, as far as I remember, but he did, uh, his family is turned, destroyed as a result, turned into these monstrosities or killed or their faces were ripped off and put on, <laughs> carried around by their daughters. Um, and at the same time, you have these goofy ass umbrella scientists being like, man, you heard about Plant 42? The fuck is up with that thing? Like, it's just <laughs> eating through the floor. We wouldn't even know where it's getting those nutrients from. Uh, and I, I, I deeply enjoy, I enjoy that part of it. Yeah, I think, you know, the, the when I sort of, when I, when I play this, um, it put into, I was sort of struck by, and I, we talked about this on the, on the, on the main feed podcast, Resident Evil in some ways has always been this thing. 
Um, and it's, it sort of recasts how when I've seen the discourse around Resident Evil games sort of ebb and flow over the years, uh, you know, ah, this is like seven, right? Like really getting back to that, like, you know, gritty horror roots and everything. That's true. Like there's a, there is a lot of the Spencer mansion in the first, yeah, you know, half of, of Resident Evil seven. There's, there's a lot of continuity there. There's a lot of philosophical overlap. There's a lot of channeling the same type of horror conceits, right? But when I think about the last, uh, when I'm up like the last hour or two of Resident Evil One, I also can very clearly see how we get to something Resident Evil Six, where it's like, yo, we're just doing action now. Um, it's just <laughs> you know, we're it's it, we're gonna be uh, killing. It's gonna be big. It's gonna be overblown. It's gonna be uh, intricate. And that that's Resident Evil 2 is like, you know, time to kill these monsters. Um, and so when, when we when we talk about these things, like when when, uh, you know, our friend Matthew Galt reviewed Resident Evil 8, um, he called out like. The denouement uh, sort of does the Resident Evil thing of like, well, here we go. Time to get really actiony and we're going to abandon some of the cool stuff we were doing, I think. For me, the thing that sort of hit me as I played Resident Evil 1 is this is a certainly that's a game and maybe it's also a series that it's always only as good as how well it's carrying off whatever conceit is working with right now. Mm. Like the hunters are goofy in Resident Evil 1. They worked because they were like really tanky. They appeared in the worst possible places and they like <laughs> could really fuck you up. Uh Ditto dogs, like all this stuff tended to work. And it didn't matter if. Does the game really justify these hunter lizard things? Eh, probably not. But the scares are really good and the game makes it work. But I think later on when they're throwing. What's that last enemy type we saw a million of in the in the end? Uh, uh, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In which even, even the game is sort of just like throwing up its hands. Ah, we kind of put these at the end. Uh, you're not going to even have time to look at them and get scared of them. Just shoot them, I guess, and move on. Yeah, and like so, once those guys show up, it's a funny thing because it's like, wow, here's a creepy, different monster that's actually way less menacing than the, even the the basic zombies you run into. Like, you're you, the game is like here. Um, these things are just going to be fodder for all the good weapons you are now carrying and probably carrying too much ammo for because in the opening hours of the game, we can teach you resources are scarce. And at the end, you will, you will be late to the realization that resources will never be scarce again. Like I was late to that realization <laughs> where I was like, Ooh, I, I better be careful with, with, with shooting this gun better. got to make every shot count. And then at some point I was like, wow, I'm really turning a profit on ammunition <laughs> at this point. Like for every shotgun shell expended, I'm getting like four back. Um, and I think that ends up being part of this experience as well, where, there are moments when the game really does sort of have you up against the wall and it is making you treat everything as a resource, space, ammunition, health, and you might want to spend them saving. Re yeah. Um, you might want to risk taking a hit in order to get a closer range shot because the shell is more valuable than the health. 
You you know, you're good on health. You're, you're low on ammo. The game teaches you all this stuff, and these are good lessons. It's a cool game. And then halfway through, it's like the game decides, you just want to shoot these guys now? You want some fun with guns? And I'm kind of like, not really. And it's like, you want guns? And the game kind of shifts. And it was it was a slow realization of like, oh, it's just never going to be those first hours in the Spencer Mansion again. We're done with that part of well, the they, game. They ne- and they, now we're somewhere they, else. And they never sort of like reset the table. Um, and this is yeah. this is true across the franchise. Like this, it's it's they've committed to this design approach. I hate it. I, I um, as like for as satisfying as it is to watch Rob run through just gunning down fools with the Magnum and how how much joy that brought him. It is also one of those instances in which, well, if the game's not going to tap the brakes on me, then I'll just keep hitting the gas. Right. And the series always does this. And so it is not as though they haven't learned a lesson. They know the lesson. This is just how they want to build these games. Resident Evil uh, 7 does it. Resident Evil 8 does it. It, it is built into these games where they they resource trap you and you are you're inclined to be careful. And then at a certain point, Especially if you played enough of them, you just realize like, oh, oh, I'm good. Like, I don't need to do I don't need to worry about this anymore. And it's they and they they never take the time to sort of say, okay, we've let we've let the player have a little fun with that. How do we how do we set them back so that they have to re-experience, you know, that feeling? And instead, like the, the design team across these games, across the decades has basically their conclusion has always been, and obviously it's been a, a successful formula, is like, no, like you handicap them early on and then the reward is in the second half of the game. You get to kind of go hog wild. And that goes hand in hand with the action shooting through the roof um, in which there are more enemies. You have to kill more things. You can't worry as much about ammo. Um, and, and maybe that's if they, they want to achieve that feel, they kind of have to throw away more ammunition at you because – they need to account for more mistakes and 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 more misfires in order for the player to keep uh, progressing. Um, and so I, I've always struggled with that in, in the Resident Evil games. I, I, I've always wished I enjoy like the realization that I can be a little looser with my play. But if you know, in my heart of hearts, I, I know that what makes me the happiest, what I enjoy the most in those games, is those early hours. Um, and I wish more of that translated to to the sec to the second half. Um, but yeah, that that arc is incredibly similar um, um, in the future of the franchise, and I think it extends to um, like the opening of this game. Every single, not just every single, like almost every single room in the Spencer Mansion uh, has a look, but almost every single shot you get of these rooms has a memorable look. Like it's very easy to remember like the high angle shot of entering the hallway outside the dining room. Um, you know, you can, you can basically draw a picture from memory of the uh, like grand staircase area of the Spencer mansion. Uh, there's so many moments that are in so many p- locations that uh, really have the sense of specific place and slowly unlocking the Spencer mansion, opening it up, uh, to further exploration was so satisfying. Like those, those early streams we did where like, oh man, we just opened up an entirely like new wing on this floor. Let's go see what's in there. 
And that was really dramatic stuff. And I think it, it did that pretty well. Like the first time you get outside the mansion, um, even that was pretty cool. Cause it's like, Oh shit, we're on the grounds and they have a completely different overgrown haunted wilderness vibe. You go to the residence, which is an outbuilding on the, uh, Spencer mansion grounds. Um, that like leads to some cool places, but it was after that, after the residence, um, that as the action like basically moves underground, it starts turning into it started to feel like a very padded out game in a lot of ways. Um, like it was just f- like basically acting as a spacer before you get to the denouement uh, of this like high tech lab uh, deep underneath the Spencer mansion, which was a cool location. Like it was, it was cool in part because it juxtaposed so sharply with the rest of the Spencer mansion that like this antique facade was masking this uh, like high tech uh carceral lab environment that was was kind of cool but nothing really measured up to the way almost every single location in the spencer mansion you have to earn access to it and you kind of have to earn feeling safe there you you kind of have to like master the mansion in a way that a lot of the stuff that Slater, I, I, I just started to feel like I was burning through, um, you know, time, really. <laughs> well, yeah, it, you'll, you'll never remember what you did in the caves. Like, that environment may as well. That well, whole seek, other, well, the boulders, right? So that was, <laughs> but, but I mean, like, you know, there, there are, they're just like, yeah, it, it, you're really right. It does feel like padding. It feels filler. It feels like they're just buying time. Like, basically, they... They didn't think the mansion was enough for a game and then didn't know they needed some way to get you to the labs. And I don't know, but this is also the, the issue and this, this issue persists in, in the franchise. Like it is frequent that the, the starting location is like this interesting, intricate maze puzzle. And then once you leave the game's like, ah, all right. Ah, not sure what to do now. You know, Resident Evil 2, you know, starts in a, a similar way. You know, you you just swap the, you know, the, the mansion for a police station. But the police station is basically just a mansion, a mansion redux. You know, they they use the, the narrative explanation that it used to be a art museum, which is like why it's weird and has giant structures and is constructed <laughs> strangely. It's great. It's, it's I mean, it was, it was when that uh, game uh, was uh, when Resident Evil 1.5 was canceled and I was reading the, you know, the book Itchy Tasty. Of which I did the, um, uh, you know, an interview with the, the author for the for this month of Resident Evil. You know, they brought in an external writer to help them craft the story, and they're like, "You need, like, you need a just like some sort of justification for the player so that you can, like, let this police station be a little weirder." And like, how do we narratively do that? And the, the explanation the writer came out with, like, just say it's an old museum that got retrofitted into a police station and it's 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 so goofy but it also allows them to lean in to the same weird nonsense that makes the the spencer mansion so memorable um you know in in a different setting and you know games like resident evil 7 i I think like definitely recapture that that feeling in a you know in, in a modern context yeah, in the end, I really loved this game. Um, I didn't expect to. Um, but I, I, I will say also, I was probably helped by the fact that I was playing with y'all. And 
I suppose the the other thing I could say in defense of um, the way they sort of construct these games is that I could see playing it alone. Well, two things. One, playing it alone and without ready access to to y'all like pulling up walkthroughs, uh, you know, in real time. I think flailing at Resident Evil does not sound fun. Um, the amount of time to walk back and forth across the mansion grounds is like, you do not want to be wasting trips doing that. And I think if I'd gone, if I'd ended up in that loop that you often end up in, in games where it's like, I don't know where to go next. I'm just going to start like wandering around and seeing if I missed a door somewhere or seeing if I didn't try a key in a lock or seeing if I missed an item. Um, I think that could have gotten pretty old. And also I think the, um, Weird, weirdly enough, because the dread level was kind of controlled by the fact that, like, it was a social experience, um, I don't think it got as oppressive as it might if I were playing, like, alone in the dark room. And I could see where letting a player get armed to the teeth is the solution to, like, well, is the game just going to be too gruelingly scary? Uh, well, we'll give them more tools to like just shoot the monsters. Um, and I think this is the thing. This is the thing that bedevils a, a lot of of horror games is that um, one, like it's it's a game balance. It's, it's a balance that's very difficult to strike and sustain. But two, I think we all love the idea of a really scary game. I think in practice, a lot of people wear out on them um, and just get kind of exhausted by the the fever pitch tension like I, I think about like amnesia the dark descent as a game where like i found that grueling to play after a point uh because it was all just like stark terror um the game was trying to keep you in that headspace as much as possible um and i could i could and I fell off that. And so it's very easy for me to say, like, oh, I wish, wish more Resident Evil games would, would stick with that, that sense of dread. I wish, I wish uh, they were, I wish they were the opening hours of Resident Evil 7 all the way through. Do I? Or do I think I want that? You know I, what I mean? I, so like, I, I do, but I, th- I think the audience probably doesn't. And, and it's also, I think, uh, horror in general is one of those genres that is, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know if we can run the numbers, but like, I think it's largely, uh, enjoyed communally as a as a social experience. Um, I think there are lots of um, there there are genres that uh, benefit from uh, being around people, and I, I'm I'm you know I can attest to this. Horror is my favorite genre, but I primarily experience horror through watching films with my wife or friends, and I play a decent number of horror games. But I frequently dread them as opposed to get excited about them because I don't find the experience of being by myself in my office late at night playing a game and being scared out of my mind nearly as entertaining in practice as I do intellectually. And what I do enjoy is being scared out of my mind sitting on the couch next to my wife and because it takes just enough of the edge off. And it's fun to experience that kind of like a roller coaster with another person. Um, but I frequently don't, I still do it because I get something out, like the adrenaline rush, I, I get something out of it. Like there's a reason I go back to that well. Um, 
and like continue to do so even though I'm not streaming. Like even just playing a horror game that is meant to be on a knife's edge the entire time streaming is so much easier. Like even though I'll ha- even though I'll have the monitors uh like the chat off, I'll be in the darkness knowing that I'm performing. Like I am I am I am I am talking for an audience is gets me into the same headspace that I do when I'm sitting and watching something with another person. Um, but when, when doing that um, solely on my own, and I think it's part of why the Resident Evil games are so fucking popular is because they understand that. Like they, they, they know that people want to be scared and then let off the gas and yeah. like, let, and then reward you for having survived that sequence um, or like that first half of the game. It is frequently these games are one half survival horror and then one half action game. Um, and depending on how careful you were in the survival horror part, you are, you know, you may have more or less to work with in that second half, but that, that, that pivot happens. And it's, I think because it is essentially an elongated version of the release that is set, like, like just tingles our brains about why we're attracted to, to horror movies and like being scared. It's just done over a longer period of time. Um, and so as much as I understand that. I wish Resident Evil 7 was like a knife's edge the entire way through and that Resident Evil 8 didn't just have two spooky sequences and then the rest is an action game. I understand why they aren't made that way and it is probably like the correct decision for <laughs> a wider audience of of people. Because like RE6 or RE7 was was too too much for a lot of people. Like legitimately too much. And that game in VR, I've said over and over, is even for me was approaching like an edge um, in which I had to take breaks, and so I, I think there is worth in, in in the in respecting how the designers have understood how people interact with things that scare them, um, and how they've tried to change that and adjust that over the the two decades plus of uh, Resident Evil as a franchise. Um, so we got a lot of questions uh, from folks. Despite the short notice, we got a lot of a lot of questions nice coming work. out. People were keeping uh, right. keeping their eyes. Apologies out. Uh, to all the people who sent in a question when I said send in a question on uh, last uh, Friday's podcast, and then Kato immediately <laughs> like I'm sure they rushed to their keyboards yeah. and were like, "Time to send in a question." And then Kato was like, "Shut the fuck up, Patrick." Uh, <laughs> he said it just like that. Um, like. <laughs> That's anyway. true. I think we we should um, like honestly, we need to cut Kato off and stop wow. him drinking uh, while true. we're recording. <laughs> yeah, um, he's he just gets mean. Oh my god! Um, and uh, you know, I don't think you too guys many hear fres- it, too many frescas. Yeah, I just wish gets, just, just gets too <laughs> rowdy. Uh, all right, so uh, Petter writes in. Hi, Waypoint crew. I'm currently watching Rob and Patrick playing Resident Evil, and what gets me going is how good-looking the pre-rendered scenes are. Not just in, se- in the sense of increased fidelity, but how they allow the developers to properly frame these scenes of horror and put the player in certain spots. Sometimes uncomfortable uncomf- spots, like zombies blocking the view or having to move towards the camera without seeing what's in front of you, but it seems aimed to fulfill a purpose. Question is, while the style camera has certainly gone away in modern times, do you think there's still space for these sorts of fixed camera angles in games? Can the style become more widely used again? No. Uh, I, no, no. I mean, would I like to see it? Do I think it can work? Sure. Yeah. Do I, do I think we have just, you know, 
have we moved past that as a medium by and large? I, I think so. I mean, I, I, in terms of what the audience expects, right? I think yeah. I think we have. Um, I think if anything, there... I could see this happening in in the indie space for sure. Yep. But like a big game like Res- the Resident Evil franchises at this point doing that same sort of yeah, the player expectation is like way on the other side of it's like all about immersion and being the character to a point God, can where you, can you imagine though if they took like look the resident evil re- the, the remake looks yeah. so good even yeah. now if they just were like all right we're gonna try and do this again same approach but with all the tech that we have available now can you fucking imagine how oh. good and how cool that would look yeah they're not gonna do that when they remake resident evil it's probably gonna be a first person game with a God. larger mansion um and it'll probably be cool on its own, on its own right, but um, uh, yeah, I just don't think I think it's weird. It's weird. It's weird to play a game with fixed camera angles, and I just I I don't think it's going to be anything other than as Kato said. It's going to be you, you know, especially as we have des- uh, young designers who uh are want to make games that represent eras like this. I, I think we're we're moving into that. We're starting to see games that have PS one, PS two aesthetics um in the indie space i i wouldn't be shocked if you know we see some some stuff some experimentation there but like capcom's never going to make another one i would love yeah. if they did a spin like a, a tinier game that was just like hey we're making this isn't resident evil 9 it's just like a we decided to make a game in the old style that would be so fucking cool and i think would do really well i think it would have an audience especially when you put resident evil's name on it but right well i also think like yeah, there's more people using like the low poly or PS1 era aesthetics, but I think the weird thing is there's I think there's a few weird things. One, there's really good shot composition in Resident Evil. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it's not just that it's using fixed camera angles. It's that they're very good fixed camera angles and they look good. There's a lot of visual interest to these things. Uh and that goes for the the rendered backdrops as well. Like, you know, Patrick, there's that one shot where Jill comes through the door and is standing like in the moonlight, uh, in this like, like cold blue gray hallway. Mm-hmm. There's the sense of depth and stillness and quiet and like menace, but like moment, momentary respite as well in that shot. That's a great shot that like, it feels like it's drawing out a lot of different disciplines to put it together. And I think, the economics of like that's a lot of that's a lot of different skill sets i think to be residing in one or two indie developers and from what what little i know about indie development costs scale very very quickly uh if you as you begin to expand the team a little bit to maybe encompass uh more of this and so i think it's even though you could say like well you can make a thing like this for a song compared to a modern game budgets back then were a fraction of of what they are now uh, but I, I don't feel like it's as easy to say, well, surely like indie developers could could make stuff like this uh, because I think it's probably harder to carry off at this at this quality bar than it looks. Um, and I think nailing the quality is why it works at all. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I just don't. I Unfortunately, I, I also agree that that's the only space, you know. Yeah, it would be cool to see it at the same like budget and like, you know, level of aesthetic and, and, uh, but I just, I just can't see it coming from 
like video games, like there just aren't horror, despite I think it being such a natural genre for video games, uh, is like just wi- largely ignored by most game makers. Um, you know, we're you know EA is dipping back into the well with with Dead Space, um, and just remaking that original game and and updating it, but. I don't know. Like it's, it continually surprises me that horror is like extremely big and popular in film, although not respected. Um, and uh, we just, you know, you just don't see a ton of it in in video games, despite it seeming like it having a really natural place in the in the medium. Todd, I'm curious from the um, like artistic standpoint. I think first of all, Resident Evil uh, One is definitely quoting a lot of like. Uh, classic works of art. We we talked about this on stream, but also it's 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 quoting a lot of like uh, Renaissance and and uh, like realist oil painting uh, type aesthetics as well in in, in places uh, as well as like uh, sort of devotional art. Um, and I feel one like these these things are sort of nods at some of its other influences, but two is I as I look at this game like. Like, like like some of the uh you know, some of the paintings on the wall almost seem like nods to the way that um Resident Evil scenes themselves are staged, right? They're staged sure. a bit like a painting. Um and I am curious, you know, how how natively do like trained artists who like, you know, got you know uh bachelors or masters in <laughs> art like how how much of that skill set like do you recognize you trained in like were you like oh yeah i know what they did and like how you would achieve that versus how much of this is like specialized uh like s- specialization or specialized sure. focus uh as an artist no i mean i think a lot of it come like uh comes to an understanding of composition which is kind of fundamental to every piece of visual art um and like i think more of the more of the the touchstones are definitely in in the filmic sense like in shot composition and lighting uh in the photographic sense a lot of times too because of that uh they just the the added element obviously is the fact that you are moving in this space right right it it's hard to do and like this is where they've specialized really well is um after you've composed a shot, making movement, and this is where they're pulling on film a lot, making movement through that shot seem natural or, and still like, you don't necessarily, that, that like one shot you keep talking about where you open the door and you, Jill is there in that moonlight is a great still, but it is still also terrifying having to walk through it, right? It doesn't mm-hmm. lose that tension at all. And it still looks good as the light moves across her body as it, the, the her position in 3D plane in 3D space like works and like that's that's I think what's really special about the fixed cameras in here is that they aren't just really well composed opening shots but they also continue to be composed spaces as you as you interact with uh, the zombies and move through them um, yeah like I there were we there were multiple like it especially early in the mansion. There was so many times that I remember just exclaiming like, oh, wow, look at that shot. Look at that shot. <laughs> you know, uh, it's like candy. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's 
and I think that's very hard. Like, even if you say, well, the technology uh, required to execute that or like the quality bar you'd have to hit in terms of, uh, you know, resolution isn't as daunting as like developing for modern 4K games. I still think it's pretty daunting. Yeah. Uh, for, uh, for, for like indie sized teams. It has to be very deliberate. And yeah, there is a sense of like, um, when you, when you're making a camera that, uh, the player moves around it's more about making sure that it interacts with the the po- polygonal space around it well and yeah. it doesn't fuck up in that way but when you're setting a shot right it's a different skill set of like composition and lighting that has to travel through the player's interaction with it right that has to survive the player's moving around and still look good and i think the this first game this remake that we that you played through like really really was firing on all cylinders and like hit it a lot. Um. Yeah, uh, I think it's another reason why you don't say like, well, why hasn't anybody made the indie Grim Fandango? Eh. <laughs> well, <laughs> uh, let me say about Lucas Arts in the '90s and like the things that could have drawn on. Mm. Um, and like, so the question right. is, can you assemble uh, like a crew that can generate and te- and and iterate uh, that many great spaces? Now, it's possible somebody is listening to this and is like, "Hey, fuckers! <laughs> Look. Indie Resident Evil exists. It's this game you haven't heard of, and by all means, like, yeah. send it over, like, <laughs> like shoot it over." I mean, some, some, um, of the, some of them do exist. I mean, like there are. Uh, the mm, re- remothered is one of the ones that uh, that has come out in the last couple years. Well, that game has a really fucked up, yeah, storytelling bits from what I remember. So there are there are developers who are trying to echo. Uh, well, that one world. of the things that um, I was thinking of also problematic, but uh, is the Five Nights at Freddy's series where you it's, the whole thing is still shots, right? Like you're looking through cameras that often aren't moving, and you're trying to see, you know, you know, track things, but those shots are composed and mm-hmm. have a similar effect in like, you know, the, the way the lighting is set up is very specific to make your, make your eye think you see things and like, Oh, also, the Five Nights at Freddy games, yeah. like that, that original game especially is, is, is brilliant. I mean th- that the, the designer <laughs> you know, can fuck off. <laughs> off yeah. Um, okay, good luck in retirement. Um, but uh, like that game weaponizes the jump scare in such a smart and interesting yeah. way. Because you know what the punishment is. Right. You know what the punishment is for fucking up. It is a jump scare. You know that going in is that if you do not do this, a big loud noise is going to happen and uh, you're going to get hit with this. Whereas the jump scare is frequently, you know, uh, you know, used in all, all sorts of horror media um, as uh, like it's out of nowhere. And then that's right. where you get like the loud violin. And it's like, no, the game is up front. Like, we're going to jump scare you. You're yeah. going to screw up and you're going to get hit with the jump scare. So just don't screw up. And then no jump scare. And that's that's what I've always. It's a beautiful I, tension. Know, I, yeah, it is. Yeah, I've, I, you know, I, I played like an hour and a half of it and was like, this is brilliant. I'm good. I don't <laughs> need any more of this. But I, I, I will I continue to maintain that it is a the, the way that it understands the the, the, the jump scare and it uses it in its design is extremely smart. And also, I think like. The hugely responsible for why it was like such a success. I mean, obviously, yeah. like the lore and everything became a, a big part of it as it went along. But initially, part of the way it worked was the the way it understood the use of the jump scare, and, you know, mashed up with the rise of streaming and uh, let's play culture and and reacting to to yeah. that that very gimmick. 
we've answered a couple of the questions. People talk about like tension. I think we, we, we sort of covered, uh, that stuff. Um, a couple of people wrote in asking about inventory management, mm. uh, as, as a part of this game and how we ended up feeling about the limited inventory slots. Like, was it like, did it add something? Was it more an inconvenience, uh, the, than anything else? I think. I don't At think you felt. From- I don't think you felt the squeeze all that much. I think if you had played as Chris, it would have that game would have been a lot different. Imagine having gone through what you just did with two fewer spots. Two fewer. Jesus. Yeah, two. That is. I think that would have given you six slots. I believe. Yeah. One, two, three. I, th- I think six versus eight. Um, that's a lot. That is. That is. I. I. You know. Imagine the things you can't carry. Um with you imagine the the the, uh sacrifices you have to make or alternatively the amount of micromanaging and backtracking you have to do um as a result which is which is also what comes which comes with it but i'm curious you know oh go ahead kato well i just had a question because you brought that up as far as the rest of the game is there that much divergence between like the puzzles and areas that you're going to as chris or is it essentially the same but you're getting different story beats along the way I think that's I think that is the case. Okay. Um and there's like, you know, little differences like you actually get a flamethrower if right. you if you play as Chris. Um You meet Rachel I, ever? Uh right, isn't that? Yes, yes, yeah. There's <laughs> a different character um that you interact with. Um or is it Rebecca? I think Rebecca, Rebecca. sorry, yeah. Um our name. <laughs> uh yeah, so yeah, like there there are differences there, but it's 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 really the same game with some some minor differences. But the difference is enough that, you know, there's a reason people you know, enjoyed playing those games over and over again. They gave you at least a, a somewhat different experience uh, going through it a, a second time. But like, that's a, you know, that's an instance in which the, the difference between the character is not just who you encounter, but actually manifestly kind of like a difficulty slider for, which is why I encouraged you to play as, as Jill, because I just, I figured it was going to part of the way that I sort of like dungeon mastered the experience was to try and find the ways that, you got to enjoy as much of what I think still works really well about that game. And then like sanding off some of the, the edges that I don't know, like work as well or are a little like frustrating to a degree that can like stack up really quickly. And the inventory management was certainly one of those that I gave consideration to. Yeah, I think, um, I think the inventory stuff was cool. I think, once it started turning into, well, I'm mostly just going to schlep this stuff from one item box to the next, uh, it started to become less and less interesting to me because uh, it wasn't like resources were tight. I just had to figure out what I was going to carry next and when there right. were puzzle items. So basically you clear an area and now you bring your puzzle items out and you do the puzzles and then you go arm up for the next area. Um, I think... I think limited like early on, I think the choices were really interesting where it's like, I really have to think about like what I'm going to bring when I need to leave room for collecting here. Um, I think probably it would have been more interesting to me if they were more like if, if all the item boxes weren't sharing space and it was instead more of a depot model where like, just as you go deeper in the game, it's like, okay, what am I bringing to this next area with me? Um, I think the game gets very interesting if, like, at some point I'm sitting there and I've got, like, well, I've got a million rounds for this pistol, but it's not really good anymore. I've only got 
four rounds for the shotgun, but it's critical. And I got to leave one of these things behind. Um, I think that gets interesting, right? Because then it's like a, I'm I'm forging off into the unknown, um, and I can only bring these these handful of things. I think it's a good idea, uh, but just as the game sort of goes on, the problems it creates get less and less interesting. Um, and so that's that's kind of where where I came down with the um, with, with the inventory management. Uh, Fazuzu writes, hello, Resident Evil 1's puzzles can be pretty rote exercises in finding an item to plug into an interactive object. Which ones did you find memorable in RE1? And what makes an intriguing video game puzzle mystery that excites the puzzle master? Um, so the funny thing is the, the joke of the puzzle master initially was they weren't puzzles at all, right? It was like literally... <laughs> Here is here is a triangular shaped socket. Find a triangular shape. Like, oh, we need you need an arrowhead for this. Oh, found an arrowhead, and this will unlock a door. It's not a puzzle at all. It's just the idea of a puzzle. Um, and I think in terms of what were some really intriguing puzzles uh, in the game, Patrick, I like that. Like, uh construct the the tile sliding uh like construct the the crest uh thing that was cool um i, don't, I think the, a, i think the puzzles are dog shit across the yeah. resident evil franchise like <laughs> but that's not why they're cool the cool is the fact that they're like ridiculous yeah. obtuse and re- require you to do enormous like physical and mental gymnastics to accomplish them like that that is that is, I think, a defining trait of Resident Evil is, uh, well, time to put this yellow gem into the uh, into into the tiger statue, and then part of the wall is going to move to reveal, you know, some shotgun shells that someone hid behind here. Like, I, think- I don't, they're not, they're not good in the sense that I feel like they, you know, we're recording this. And uh, Annapurna just had like their like showcase stream and they announced that like uh, Outer Wilds is getting a DLC at the uh, expansion at the end of September. Yeah. Oh, shit. They dropped the date. Fuck. Yeah. September 28th, I think. Um, That game has really intricate, well-designed, fascinating puzzles that. um, Yeah. Yeah. Resident Evil is just funny bullshit. Um, So it's really just there's one small one that I'll give it credit. Uh, which I think I would have felt really smart figuring out, even though it's pretty simple, was the early, like, I think it was like the second floor map where you find like a a, a piece of wood. Slate? The slate, yeah. Because then you have to like make sure that you knew the wood hinged open and then you have to connect to that. Oh, that seems like about the right size. And if I burned it into there, I would get the map, right? Um, But that's like the smallest example and it's a very much a throwaway thing very early on. Apart from that, it does become very much like, did you find the right thing? The most memorable for the stream for me was the colors one, because I absolutely thought Rob had lost the plot, but he fucking did it in one, uh, the uh, mixing all the chemicals bit where you had to oh, right. <laughs> do a bunch of math uh, just to make sure you had the right uh, combination. Um, but that was mostly just because go it was ch- a fun go, go check out that pool table. Oh God! The pool table. Right oh my God! The Look. pool table. I love it. <laughs> that was hell. 
And by the end, it still didn't. Like, I feel like it made less sense the more I stared at it, where I was like, I thought we had the solution. I don't know well, why this is falling apart. And, and I'm glad that at least once you got to experience what all Resident Evil fans experience, which is the accidental solving of a puzzle in which <laughs> you, you extract no satisfaction from the solving, but joy that it's over. It's done. Um, yeah, those, so like, fuck those statues. <laughs> like the, yeah, the, 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 that clock puzzle that you just fumbled your way through. Um, that happens all the time. That is, that is, that is just, I mean, in some ways it's an intentional design, right? It is like, they're, they're kind of making things where you, if you know what you need to do, you can accomplish the goal, but also you can kind of just kind of stumble your way there. And, uh, I, I enjoy that part. I, I, that's one of those things I'm glad they've kept, like, as the franchise has gone forward and without justification sometimes, you know, it, you know, it's not as always the case that Resident Evil, uh, sits to itself and goes, well, maybe this place used to be a museum. Uh, <laughs> and sometimes they're just like, you know what? We know what you want. Oh, we know what you want. You want a helmet key that opens a <laughs> helmet door. And it's like, yes, I do. Yes, Love I it. do. Um, couple questions about the game's title. Christian writes, is the resonant in Resident Evil an adjective now or noun? In other words, are we dealing with a residing evil or an evil resident? Also, are zombies actually evil? It seems like they are victims of a virus. Doesn't seem to be any moral motivation at play. Would love to hear your thoughts. Uh, yeah, for me, if it, uh, my interpretation was evil resides here. Yeah, oh, yeah I would shit. be the former. Yeah. 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 Yes. I don't think you can. Because it's a house. Who lives in the house? Resident evil. <laughs> I uh, guess. Finn. Hmm? Well, I was going to say, yeah. I guess since it's the Umbrella Corporation capitalism. I mean, there is, is there the is a, there is, evil. <laughs> yeah, and, and there also is an evil resident. Well, and so I mean, this is too, true. Finn writes a similar question. I find Resident Evil slash Biohazard's dual naming conventional fascinating, as it seems to inherently promise that the games clash like they do. Resident Evil implies a home community stricken by an internal evil. Biohazard implies bioweapons, genetic meddling, and corporate government evils. Uh, as the games have proven, these are tough to mix. Like almost how every game starts in a literal residence, home, town, community, and ends in a giant lab fighting a genetic monstrosity. Do you think the two names curse Resident Evil slash Biohazard games to always have to oscillate and, co and conflict between their dual natures, or is the fact that they are at odds part of the joy of the series Bo both yeah both? i mean i think both? i think if you come to this this game with the name biohazard in english it to me reads a lot more sharply as a critique of corporate corporations and like obviously it is like umbrella corp is like evil because they're just doing a bunch of science and like fucking up the area and like the t-virus and like the creation of something horrendous that seeps into the environment around you know factory and all that is kind of wrapped up in like umbrella corp as the the, the big kind of i mean a little mustache twirling but still like this well, was like, also, the, like this the, was the '90s when, like, you know, like things about pollution. I remember as a kid, like, getting all the like, you know, you have to recycle and shit. It's like it's not personal shit. It's like the corporate giant corporations making pollution and dumping shit into like into the environment is the actual pollution that is going to cause further climate change down the road, rather than individual choice. Um, and 
it doesn't yeah like resident evil paints it much more as like spooky mansion right like which is where you start but i think with biohazard you make the connection in my brain i make the connection of like oh this is about like i mean to me like the spencer this the spent like yes the spencers are kind of a tragic like family in all of this but I, i i like as i was listening to the the story kind of play out it, it it did at some point feel like the like excess at which like wealth will try to hang on to wealth if it even if it has to like kill itself almost like you're like this obviously you have a lot of money this fucking mansion like do you really need to get in bed with like these this sort of scientists that like, continue to make more wealth like right it's like the the sort of like cycle of like oh we need to make even more money than Seek we already risky have. Seek riskier returns. Exactly, yeah, exactly. With more and more harms. And so, like, yeah. that's kind of where the escalation of mansion to, like, oh, we're in a court, like, into, a, like, uh, like f- familial wealth into, like, corporate, like, giant, uh, you know, consuming well, many people kind of wealth. Uh, and, and you have that sort of, that sort of play on it where, um, you know, Patrick, tell me if this is a spoiler for later in the series, but Umbrella Corp's logo is just the Templar cross uh, with a like it, it is the the thing is hidden in a different logo. Uh, it is a shape within a shape. Um, and so if you look at it, and you say that's an umbrella. OK, it looks like an umbrella. But if you say, well, that's a that's a Templar cross um, there. There's a cross. Um are you are you asking me is if later in the series it's revealed that like these experiments have been going back or like the, the, they of go, years? or this umbrella has its roots in like medieval orders and no, shit. No, 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 no. All right, that was because I was just staring at it. I was like, yeah, I mean, it's an umbrella, but it's also something else, um, right. and sort of associated with like. I mean, lots give of it give it time. Like I said, uh, Resident Evil loves a retcon, um, and so you know we've got Resident Evil. I mean, the rumor of the, the 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 name of the last of the first person trilogy is Resident Evil Nine Armageddon. So you know what? Give it time. Maybe you got to go to the past to save your future. <laughs> Send me back to the mansion. That's what I'm saying in Resident Evil Nine. Do your Resident Evil One remake in Resident Evil Nine. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. All right, and to wrap things up, we have another uh, another question. Um, Daniel writes is it ever okay to call resident evil resi no it's not all right there we <laughs> go british people are wrong <laughs> wow what about mike, evil mike diver wow. is wrong yep for a little resi <laughs> i think i used the i think i called it resi in chat sometimes it's okay we got we you can do, do a little you resi. have you have 100 percent done that <laughs> All right. I, won't do, I won't do that anymore, Patrick. Wow. Yes, you will. We'll get together <laughs> to play Revil. As, oh as, as Rob like tries <sighs> to neg, neg me into watching him play Resident Evil 2. Problem is, he, if he was going to do that, he can't play the... I don't want to watch him play... The, the one remake. you just he, played. Yeah, you'd, yeah. Have to, you'd have to go play the original. And no, I'm not doing that. No, you're not. No? You're not. no. So we're at, we're at an impasse. Pulling out the PS1? PS2s no, are just all backwards compatible, aren't they? I have a PS2. Maybe I could play the original. <laughs> Someone send me a CD. Go find My it. My PS2 is is long gone. 
but yeah, so I think we will leave it there uh, for this month. That will that will conclude our Waypoint 101 on Resident Evil One or Resident Evil uh, Eight Remake, uh, however you however you want to to call it. Uh, I think we're still figuring out what we're going to do next month. Um, you know, and also, I think, also, I think uh, we're now we did finish this before the month was over, but I think we we never intended to play through the entire game as a stream. That kind no. of came once we realized how much fun it was. Um, so I think one way we can like see like like lay the groundwork for this it, again, like it worked out that this kind of finished before the end of the month. But I think we're gonna start thinking of Waypoint One Ones more as uh, you know. When is the next one coming up? We do, maybe we think of them in cadences of month to month, but I I don't know that we're going to commit ourselves to having you know if if for some reason you know events prevented us from having finished the game this week and then I go on vacation, I think we still would have just waited and right. had you finish the game. Um, I, I think instead we're kind of like thinking in terms of in terms of blocks of of like what's the next thing we're going to tackle. Um, but no, we don't. I don't think we we know what October is. September got changed. We know what November is. Or no, we know we know what September is. We just don't know August. We know September. We know October. We don't know August. Um so we'll have to we're gonna have to figure that out. Well, bear with us. Or maybe be, we'll just get started on September early. So we know <laughs> September and October happened without a hitch. Who knows? <laughs> uh we're all we're we're figuring it out as we go here with uh Waypoint 101. Uh, and with Waypoint Plus, uh, thanks to all of you for being supporters of Waypoint Plus. It has enabled uh, so much fun, so much cool stuff we've been able to do for the first time in like literal years. Uh, and it's enabled things like me and Patrick and Kato, you know, playing, uh, staying up way too late <laughs> to play uh, Resident <laughs> Evil Remake. Uh, so thanks so much for your support. Uh, hope hope you've been enjoying the uh, Waypoint Plus pods. And uh, stick with us next month. Until then, uh, fuck capital. I guess fuck capitalism. Go home, but also keep subscribing. <laughs> <laughs> Just fuck capitalism. Go home, but also uh, wait until the check clears. Uh, R- 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 R.I.P. to your capitalism, but ours is different. Yeah. <laughs>